Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is December the 13th, 2017, and this is episode 2131 of the Survival Podcast. Every time I do a new episode since we've, we've got up into the 2000s, it kind of blows me away how long we've been doing this together, and uh I just want to pause for a second right now and say something I probably should say more often. To all of you who have supported me over the years, whether it be financially or just, you know, emotionally, who've shared my show, who have commented, even when you disagree with me, to have listened and shared it with others so that they might listen to, who have participated, uh, who have participated by coming on the show and doing interviews, who have helped me out with graphics work, all of the things that have been done. The, the, the folks that run the, su the sub-communities like the forum and the, the Zello channel and the Facebook group, all of you, thank you, because I could not do what I do without people like you. And when I look out at all of you guys and the things that you're doing, it's the biggest dividend that this show has ever produced is your actions. So thank you for that as well. Anyway, uh, we're going to bring on people today that, that kind of live by that credo, producing dividends in the world. Mike and Sue LaPrice, who of course are on our expert council and talk about you know, family dynamics and homeschooling and have been homeschooling for a long time have adopted many wonderful children and continued to educate them through homeschooling and continue to send those amazing dividends back to the world by creating educated, well-rounded individuals who go out and do amazing things. We're going to talk about all kinds of aspects of homeschooling with them today. Uh, we're going to talk about how they got into homeschooling in the first place. Uh, we're going to talk about how to, uh, a typical day goes uh, for a homeschooler. Uh, how uh, homeschools are really great at helping other people get started doing it. Uh, maybe some compromises that you have to make if it's not in the cards for you, or figuring out when it's the right time to make that transition, and a lot of other really great stuff. Before I bring on the Laprises, let's go ahead and uh, remind you about our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is the TSP Business Directory. Do you know that you can be listed on the Survival Podcast website with your business for as cheap as five bucks for six months? I mean, that's how inexpensive it can be to be listed in our directory. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and you can find the business directory from there. You can go to just tspbiz.com and get to the directory. And I mean, the other thing is, you know, it's not just for people to advertise, it's for people to find other people to do business with. If you guys are thinking, I'd like something, I need something, I need some help with something, with graphic arts, whether it's a physical product, whatever it is, just go by the directory first, tspbiz.com. And do a search, see what's available, and do business within the community when you can. TSPbiz.com. Next up today, Harvest Eating. HarvestEating.com is run by expert council member Chef Keith Snow. And you can find a lot of really great stuff there. His educational programs where you can learn to cook like a pro. All his great products like his seasoning and spice mixes, which are awesome, and I use weekly here at the Survival Podcast Homestead. You can find his podcast, his blog, his YouTube channel, all of this great stuff. Chef Keith will help teach you cooking, and cooking is a life skill. Get on over to HarvestEating.com to learn more from the illustrious Chef Keith Snow. And before we get into uh, the main topic of today's show, just real quick, 
Uh, I want to remind you guys, if you if you do like the show and you want to support us, the best way to do that is through the Member Support Brigade, which comes out to about 18.3 cents an episode. You know, when you get done listening to today's show, I want you to ask yourself a question. Did you get more than 20 cents worth of information out of it? If you feel that you did, consider joining the MSB. Go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Members, you can sign up there. Check out all the great discounts you get. Use a few of those discounts a year and get your money back. That way, it's a win-win situation. And, uh, it, it, you know, it is those of you that do that that really make this possible because if I couldn't earn a living doing what I'm doing today, then I couldn't do it. I mean, that's that's all it comes down to. I walked away uh, many years ago from a very successful career in business in sales and marketing and company ownership to do this. And it's MSB support that made that possible. And all the things that we've done in over nine and a half years have been empowered and enabled by MSB members. So thank you all that have done that. And if you haven't done so or you've let your membership lapse, consider renewing today. And remember, I offer a service discount for those of you who serve us at home or abroad, whether that be military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, or first responders like EMTs, firefighters, and paramedics. And it's not just for active duty and retired. It's for active duty, prior service, or retired. If you've served in any of those capacities at any time, you get a great discount on a product that's already a great deal. Just go to, uh, just, just email me at jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Put TSPC service discount in the subject line. Tell me about your service in one or two sentences. That's all it takes. And I will send you a discount code when you sign up uh, to make a really great deal even better. With that, let's get into uh, the main topic of today's show and introduce our special guests, Mike and Sue LaPriest, to talk to us about homeschooling, fam- family dynamics, and more. Really amazing people. And with that, hey, Mike and Sue, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hi. Hey, Thank you. Thanks for having us on. It's, it's awesome to have you guys on. We've heard from you plenty of times, and we've never had you on for an interview before. Uh, people kind of know what you guys do because you're on as the expert counsel. You've been answering questions, I guess, almost two years now, it seems like. Um, but let's kind of do the personal introduction that I don't think we've ever really done. You guys decide who goes first, but you know, kind of take us back to, like, you know, you're growing up and figure out what you guys want to do professionally and things like that and how you end up in the, the as the person you are today, I guess. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'll go first. So uh, I grew up in Massachusetts. My dad was a uh, – he owned a butcher shop. Uh, I grew up in the inner city, so I've mentioned that before. So I grew up in Massachusetts, inner city, uh, went to college. Uh, didn't really like what I was doing, but – it was a way to make a living. And through that, I've always um, had a calling to nature. So we've done a lot of camping. I mean, lots and lots of camping. And uh, a few years ago, I got turned on to you. And it was like um, just right up our alley. So, you know, we'd, we'd been through some issues in terms of flooding of our house back in Houston and realized that we weren't prepared for that. And... Um, Anyway, I ended up moving right out of college to Houston, and that's where I met Sue. And Sue can tell you a little bit about her background. Yeah, so I grew up in Malibu Lake, California, on on the lake, and um, just had a wonderful outdoor childhood, you know, roaming the hills, and neighbors had horses, and we had ponies and canoes, and um, it was just really fun and hated going to school. It seemed so unfair because, you know, it never rains in Southern California. So there was never a good day. Like in Texas, there's good days for school. It's too hot or it's too cold. But in California, there's no good day for school. And um, 
I got a scholarship to college. I got a couple scholarships to college and I just wanted to be a mom. It's what I like to do. And, um, Michael has let me do that. It's been really fun and I love it. It's my whole story. <laughs> Very cool. And, and, and tell us a little bit about, you know, ended up bringing up a family and how you guys decide to get into to homeschooling. Well, we're from big families. I'm the youngest of seven and Michael's number six out of seven. And um, we wanted to have a big family. I was allergic to being pregnant. So after the fourth one, um, we decided not to have any more and um, we adopted some kids and we're actually working on adopting some more. But um, the homeschooling thing, I just, I hated school. <laughs> it doesn't treat you as an individual. You lack freedom. And I love to learn. It's not a question of learning. It's a question of sitting still in the classroom all day. And um, early on in my schooling, I did very poorly. I couldn't read, you know, which didn't stop me from graduating second in my class when I did learn how to read. It's just, it's just not a natural form of learning. And so I started reading about homeschooling when I was pregnant with my first kid. And I just, uh, Michael was really opposed to homeschooling. Yes, so he said we could not homeschool because only weird people do that. <laughs> and by the time my youngest, our oldest was supposed to be going into kindergarten, he had already finished a first grade curriculum. And then Michael said, well, I guess you can homeschool one more year. And so, you know, here we are. Our oldest is 30. And uh, we did have one kid go to school one year because he really wanted to. And um, he just realized it's really stupid. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he spent a freshman year in high school. And at the end of that year, he thought he had to continue on because we told him if he'd made that decision that he'd have to do it from the beginning of the year and go through the rest of the year. You couldn't drop out in the middle of the year. You're going to have to finish the year out, which he did. And during the summertime, we could tell as school was approaching, he was a little bit uh, uneasy, yeah, yeah, apprehensive. Yeah. And finally, we were talking to him, and, he's, and he finally says, do I have to go back to school? It's like, no, the agreement was you had to go for that one year, and, and you get to make the choice. Do you want to go back to school? He goes, I do not want to go back to school. I want to do it at home. It's like, okay, then. We're back to doing homeschooling again. But the good news is at school, he, you know, got to smoke weed at school and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Yeah, so, uh, socialization, right? Yeah, you got to be socialized. Yeah. You got to use drugs and, yeah. you know. It was hilarious. I mean, just, it was so dumb. I've seen a meme somewhere, and it's like this dude, and he's like, hey, girl, tell him we don't, we don't socialize our children. We educate them. <laughs> you socialize dogs, not kids, right? You know. Yeah, yeah. great point. <laughs> no, but the homeschooling—it's really about freedom and um, having fun. And we just had a grandbaby yesterday, our second grandbaby, and her name is Liberty, and we're just really excited. Awesome! Yeah, awesome! Yeah. So obviously, we're raising kids who are very liberty-minded, and so yeah. they named it daughter Liberty. Like, that's very good. That's awesome. That's great. So, Michael, what what turned you around? Was it just results, uh, or was it not only just results, but also, like, seeing the life that a child has this way? Yeah, it's a, com a combination of both, really. So um, so when, when Eric was old enough to go to school, we still had Jessica was coming up, and, and Jessica was just the opposite of Eric. Eric was an easy learner. He started reading literally just while he was three. So before he was four, he started reading we thought, boy, Sue thought she's brilliant. Yeah, this is so easy. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he was just a, a natural book learner. And then Jessica came along, and, and, and just 
Jessica's mildly dyslexic and uh, and she couldn't read and she really struggled with school. Um, and and I realized that if she were to go to school, um, she would be considered a special ed student. So she didn't struggle with learning. She only struggled with reading. And so we got audio books and listened to all the classics. And she likes arts and crafts. So I was really, I could keep working on the reading skills and still she could learn everything everybody else was learning. Yeah. So she's, um, so, so she's, she's still a reader, so, so to speak. She listens to Audible, uh, which quite frankly, I do too. I'm, I'm, I'm not the, the greatest reader. Uh, yeah. So the part of it was that and part of it was the socialization. They were having a great time. They were learning a lot with Sue, not just at home, but, um, going to the zoo and coming home and telling me all the stuff they learned. And I thought, when you go to the zoo, you don't learn those things. But Sue had it all planned out. So today is a feet day. We're going to look at all the different types of animals and all the different types of feet and talk about why they have the feet that they have. Another day would be mouths. Look at all the different animals, all the mouths. And the kids are writing stuff down. So they're not just walking through the zoo. They're stopping at each animal and writing stuff out and thinking. And I just thought, wow, that is really cool. So as we started doing that, and then, and then I was looking at what school looked like where we were living. And at that time we were living in Houston and not the na- nicest neighborhood. So we were living in a place where we could afford to live on one income, mine, and I wasn't making a fortune. And I looked at the schools that were there and the products that were coming out of those schools. And I thought, yeah, I can't put my kids in there. And so um, it just, for me, it was like, they're doing really well. And at one point in time, Sue said, uh, we're going to take them for standardized testing to see where they were. And, and at that point in time, they all didn't blow the test away, but they, Sue had told me before they took the test where she thought they were at, and all of them were exactly where she thought they were at. So I was like, well, she knows what she's doing. She's got this down. Yeah, so we decided not to spend $50 per year per student to tell me where I knew they were. <laughs> but so but without standardized testing, we can't we can't yeah. validate and judge them from a distance without knowing them. What's yeah. wrong with you? Yeah, the funny thing is, so our son who was in ninth grade that one year, he took the state test and he passed. And it, they don't have the test doesn't score out of a hundred; it's like out of seven hundred points. And he got a sixty percent. And I said, "You got an F, and you still passed. That's amazing." So an F is passing, but parents don't think that. They just think, oh, my kid got over 400 points, so we're safe. They don't think that that 400 points is an F on any other grading scale. It's <laughs> yeah. just the silliness is it knows no bounds. Well, then, and, and here in Texas, you know, they change the state text, test every four years, so you can't compare kids from today to four years ago. They say, well, it's a different test. We can't compare the kids because the test's not the same. What's the purpose? Uh, So what I'm wondering is, did these people learn the definition of the word standardized? Because the entire point of their test was standardization so that you could compare. But you know what? When you don't like the results, you can play a little trick there and change the new standard. So now we have a new standard to judge for the next four years, but then we'll just change it again if we don't like the direction or the results that we're going in. Right. And I don't know, maybe if they weren't having kids take 109 steps to solve a division problem, maybe their standardized results would go up. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, they had the tax test and the task test and the star test, and they would just change the name, right? And it's like, well, you're changing the name and you're changing the test, and now you're saying we can't compare these kids to those kids because they don't match up. 
And it's like, yeah, I understand the game you're playing. You know, Michael, I was a lot like you when I first heard about homeschooling. I really was. I was pretty opposed to it. I always thought, you know, the kids would be weirdos. Because you, you, you don't know what you don't know, right? And I, I'll tell you, one of the things that actually turned me towards it was, a, well, it was a lot of things that happened as my son Matthew was coming from school. Because school got a lot worse, in my opinion, over the last 20 years. Yep. But he would come home terrified about this stupid, I think it was the toss test or whatever back then, or whatever the hell it was. And I'm like, you are a straight-A student. That test isn't for you. That test is for your teacher. And he's like, they told us that we won't even go to the next grade if we don't get a good enough grade on this. I'm like, that's not even true. Like, I, I, and, and they were basically so concerned with the school's test scores that they were threatening the children every day to force them to pay attention yeah. so they would do well. Like, this is an education. This is yeah. this is even worse than indoctrination. This is this is forced memorization for the purpose of how many dollars your school gets. Yeah, so my mom my mom was a stay-at-home mom when I was growing up and she went back to school when we all graduated and got her teaching degree. And so when I started homeschooling, my mom was starting teaching school at the inner city public schools. And it's just unbelievable. They have um, at the bilingual school she taught at, they have a pretest, and if you don't pass the pretest, they mark you as bilingual. You don't have to take the test. So when they say ninety percent of the students passed at that school, it's only ninety percent that took the test. But they tested them first to make sure that the ones that took the test would pass. I mean, it was just one thing after the other. You know, if a kid threw up on the test, the test had to be put in a ziploc bag and returned. And the stress level was just crazy. So, but that's not because it's not about learning. It's about funding. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely. And that's what you see, like, the absence policies and all of this stuff now. It's clear it's about butts and seats equals dollars. And, yes. and it, it's sad because, you know, I, I have such love for my grandson. And I realize the school administrators anyway, each one of those children in those nice straight rows is a dollar sign. And they're yes. more concerned about them being there than what happens for them while they're there. And I know people think that's an extreme view, but all you have to do is have kids in this system now and look at it objectively as a parent or a grandparent, and you're like, oh, I see it clearly. Yeah, um, we've got a, a neighbor whose daughter goes to a charter school, and she was sharing with us, so she's got some frustration even with a charter school. She was saying they get a bonus for perfect attendance, so the kids get a prize if they do a quarterly perfect attendance each quarter, and then they get an annual prize if they're annual perfect attendance. So if you don't miss any days, you get a prize, and obviously it's because of funding. So we had that snow day last week when we, you know, here we are in South Texas, and it actually snowed, and all the other kids in the area here stayed home to play in the snow while it lasted in the morning. And their daughter went to school because they're so focused on attendance, and she missed out on getting to play in the snow that one day in 25, 30 years. Yeah. Uh, experience. Let me give you two examples of this. So my niece, who is also an A student, taking all kinds of advanced placement, her mom is a teacher, her dad is a cop, so there is in the system as it gets. Uh, I was talking to her about finals, because some of the courses in high school are half-year courses, and she's like, I don't have to take any finals. And I'm like, why? She's like, I have perfect attendance. So they don't even have to take their finals if they have perfect attendance. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Then my, then my grandson, what do you hear? This is even way over the top. 
they have a thing called a bob. I don't even know what it stands for, but if you if you get in trouble, they they sign your bob for like oh you talked in line or you laughed when you read something in a book. It's just it's it's total programming. But if you go through the week and you get a whole week with nothing on your bob, you get a Bryson buck. Okay? Now Bryson buck is a fictitious currency in the school. And you save them up and you can do things like Get, you get to sit with your teacher at lunch or do other things with your Bryson bucks. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's the, it's the government. If you have enough money, you can bribe the officials to do things for you. And yeah. you get money by obeying them. Can you trade it in for Bitcoin? That would be awesome, right? Like, I don't need Bryson bucks. I'm going to make a meme. I don't need Bryson bucks. I got Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, all for, it's all about compliance. And it's, and it's training them up in the way they want them to go, right? So yeah. for the kids, then it becomes, this is normal. When they go into adulthood and the government's asking them and requiring things from them, they just go, well, I've always been, that's always been asked of me. That's always been required. Okay, I'll just go along because that's always the way I've, I've been trained to do it. But the problem is when you're an employer and your employees have been trained to just show up, it's not how well you do if you show up. It's just showing up. Then you got a bunch of young adults who are just showing up to work and don't know how to work. I'm here. What else do you want from me? Yes. Yeah. Well, I noticed you. I dealt with this as, a, as an employer. I give us an employee a task, and I'd come back in like four hours, and they're sitting there doing nothing. And I'm like, "What are you doing?" Well, I finished. Okay. <laughs> so you don't know what all your other responsibilities are? Like, you, you don't have other things to work on? Well, you didn't tell me to do that today. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God, you're fired, right? <laughs> they look yeah. at you like, like a deer. Like, no, I can't even deal with this shit. Go see well, HR. Yeah. You're out of here. Like, no, you, I'm sorry. Don't text- be fired. If you don't want to be fired, then you go work for the state. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, just showing up is all that counts. Like I, this is a right to work state. Go see HR. We're done with this conversation. I'm sorry I made the mistake of hiring you. And they look at you like you're insane. Like I, I'm not kidding. Why are you here? Goodbye. This is your yeah. first week here. Like I, I'm not dealing with this. And and it's happened more than once. Let's stop kicking the system for a minute though, and let's talk about the solution that you guys have implemented homeschooling. Because I think a lot of people are like they don't really know what that means or what that's like. So could you guys describe? Uh, a typical day in the Lapree's home. Um, so we've been homeschooling a long time, and we have a pretty standard pattern. We get up in the morning, we do chores, we eat breakfast, and we get started with school. And we don't use any curriculum that has a grade number on it because, to me, that's irrelevant. I know what the series is. I know what the process is. They don't need to know that. And so often you'll ask a homeschooler, like, what grade are you in? And they look at you like, I don't know, because it doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. And just because you're in third grade, you doesn't mean everybody knows, is on the exact same page. So we just, we really, we just have fun during the day. And we learn a lot. And the younger they are, the more, you know, prep I have to do. The older they are, the more reading. They get to start planning their own um, subjects and what they want to do out of those subjects. Right now, so, Jack and Alexis. So I have a 10- and 11-year-old right now and a 4-year-old granddaughter. And we go out at least one day a week on an adventure. And that's it's a learning adventure. We go to the zoo. I have a wagon full of books and toys and games and stuff that we're learning about, animal classification, 
and um, we do a lot of YouTube, you know, when they have questions when we're out or during the day, we write that down and then we'll look on YouTube to just answer all those questions. Little kids have so many questions and we'll, um, they don't want it answered later. They want it. They, they won't remember later. They want it answered now. And we went to we went on a tour to the Lexington. It's a big ship battleship in Corpus Christi. And we're, you know, we're there and there's all these old guys there and they're answering all your questions. And this big school group comes in and the lady gets up in front of them and says, "Okay, just hold your questions till the end. We have a 45 minute tour. Then you can ask your questions at the end. These are junior high kids. They're not going to remember their questions at the end. You know, when they're when they're looking at that airplane, they want to know about that airplane. And you're not going to know what airplane they're talking about on the bus ride home. So it's just about um, the parent being available to answer those questions the kids have and start directing them and helping them. And that's what our day looks like. It's, Talk about math. And math, you know, we have a process where they do math. We have tons of manipulatives, um, games, lots of games that they play. And it's it's really hard to describe because if they're like if they're doing math and they're not actually doing math they're just sitting at the table i can say hey you can go put the trash cans out or you can go do a chore or you know what it's snowing let's forget school and go play in the snow and so we do um if they're not focusing on their task there's no reason to sit there so they can go do a chore or go outside and play for a while or we'll go for a walk and because sitting is not really that good for you. And so we try not to do very much of that. I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to describe our day. They're, to me, it's all the same. But I, I, I doubt somebody looking in would say it's all the same. <laughs> <laughs> how, how would you guys help a person that's considering doing this? Because I think a lot of times people look at First of all, I think people look at teaching completely the wrong way. Like, the state has created a license and said, you know, something preposterous to me. Like, well, to be qualified to teach the first grade, you need a four-year college degree. And I'm thinking, well, you guys really suck at first grade then because technically, right, a second grader with straight A should be totally qualified to teach first grade if you guys were any good at first grade, right? But So there's this, this general concept of, like, well, teaching is something that special people with authority and credentials do, and, you know, it's a difficult thing. And then there's also, like, the secondary thing, like, when people do get open to the reality that, yeah, g- generally, yeah, you should be able to teach first grade if you graduated second. Um, but then they look at homeschoolers, and they think, like, it's complicated, and all these things are going on in your life, and, like, I can't be like you. Like, you're like some kind of amazing person because you can do this. I think the, the number one way you can get a person open to this isn't just academic results. You know, it, it varies where kids are at when they're like seven, eight, nine years old. But you get a 15 or 16-year-old kid that's been homeschooled most of his life, and you go have a conversation with that kid or that kid introduces him to, to yourself to you, you're like, oh, you're homeschooled. And in a very positive way, right? Like you can recognize it when you, when, when you know it. So people want to do it, but they feel apprehensive. How, how do you help families get who are interested get started? Yeah, that's easy. You're, you're right on the button there, Jack. So a lot of people that we talk to that are interested or when they, they know that we're homeschoolers, they, they want to ask questions. And a lot of times what you'll hear them say is, uh, yeah, but I can't teach. You know, I'm not a teacher. 
And the first thing I ask them is, so your kids, do they know how to tie their shoes? And they'll say, well, yeah, they know how to tie their shoes. I said, well, who taught them how to tie their shoes? Well, I taught them how to tie their shoes. Oh, you taught them how to tie their shoes, so you are a teacher. And you, you taught them that. Uh, do you know your alphabet, ABCs? Yeah, okay, your kids know their alphabet. Yeah, who taught them that? Well, I taught them that. Okay, so there are things that you're teaching them, and you're more advanced than them. And I think people have this, this myth about teachers that they know everything. And, and they don't. And they think, well, like you said, they're licensed, they're qualified, they've got a college degree, they know everything. But they don't know everything. And the subject matter, you know, there's a teacher's book, there's a teacher's guide. And if you look at the teacher's guide, it gives you all the information you need generally to answer the questions your kids have. But even better than answering the, the kids' questions for us is when they have a question, let's go show them how to find the answer so that they can do that on their own. And what we end up doing is teaching kids how to, how to learn and how to love learning. So our 30-year-old our son is still into learning new things and figuring out how to do new things. And uh, all of my kids oh, are yeah. that way. So my daughter gets a job at um, an accounting firm, a CPA, and the lady says, can you um, do spreadsheets? And she's like, oh, yeah, I know how to do spreadsheets. And the boss says, so your mom taught you to do spreadsheets? And she said, no. I told my mom I need a spreadsheet. She said, go to Google. They'll tell you how. You know, I don't have to tell my kids everything. That's the beauty of homeschooling is we're not on a time schedule. It's not like she needed to know how to do a spreadsheet because she had a presentation later that day. It was a skill she developed over time by because she likes being organized anyways. And um, it's it's not really about teaching. It's about knowing that it's about learning. And so yeah, I, I, think I, I, I'm big on that, too. Like, so to me, when the best time to teach a child or a young adult how to do a spreadsheet or, or encourage them to learn how to do it, which is more what you're saying, which I think is that's the best thing teachers do is encourage to learn, yep. is when they have a need for it. Right. So like you don't have to worry about whether or not a person will ever come into a point where they would benefit from a spreadsheet. It will occur. And yep. when it occurs, then you just give a little push. Hey. Why don't you check this out? Or maybe even if you know how to do it, you show them what a spreadsheet does, and when they go, well, how does that work? Just Google it. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's tons of free information on how to do this stuff. Yeah, yes. my, my son was working on his – well, was wanting to work on his truck. And um, so he's asking me he needed help on something, and I was like, okay, Luke, what, what do you need? And it's like, well, I need your help to do this. And it's like, well, really, that's a one-person job. And he said, well, I don't know how to do it. And I said, so what do you think I would do? if I didn't know how to do that. And he looked at me sheepishly and goes, well, you'd go to YouTube. And I was like, that's right. So why don't you go to YouTube and figure out how to do that and come back to me when you've got it figured out. And then if you need assistance, you know, I'll give you an extra set of hands. I'll be glad to work with you if you have questions. But, but go figure it out first and then let me know. And so now I know that, you know, he's 18 years old and he's not quite ready to be out on his own, but he's getting close. But he's become self, you know, he's confident in his ability to learn things. So, you know, he wants to do HVAC. And he's confident that he's going to be able to do that, that he's going to be able to pick up the skills because he knows that he's learned a lot of things throughout his eight years with us that he's had to learn on his own with us encouraging him, saying, go figure it out, go learn it. And if you have questions, come back and ask, but, but go figure it out. Yeah, and for most of the things in life, there isn't a grade. Nobody's going to give you an A or an F. It's a lot of redoing it until you do it correctly or until you get it like you like it. 
And that, I think, school detracts from the reality of living daily life when it puts all these artificial times and grades and levels on everything that doesn't exist anywhere else besides school. Yeah, I mean, that, that all makes perfect sense to me. I, I, I look at it that, like my grandson, I can't prevent him from learning. You know, right. the, the, the questions come, and, and the one I finally, like, no more, you're going to have to find out yourself, is, Grandpa, what is stronger, a tiger or an elephant? Google. Now, if, if, that was, if that was the only question, I would answer even that question. But I'm telling you, there's no end to the two things that go into that same question. What's stronger, a buffalo or a, a chicken? I don't know. You know, it just, yes. at that point, it becomes a game. But he does want to know. So we got him like this really awesome book about animals, and yeah. we're you know he's he's six, so he's just learning to type and read really well enough to do Google, but you know we'll help him with that, and, and then he's learning how to use those tools, and as he gets more uh, literate, he'll be able to use them, and then I can then I can just go just Google it, kid. I'm not I'm but I've told him like Grandpa, what's wrong? I'm like no, nope, no more. <laughs> yeah. You got to come up with other questions for me, and. I, as I look, every kid's like that about something, and the problem with, you know, institutionalized education is that we try to create uniformity in a place where diversity is the strength. That if you if you said if you said to most teachers, and I don't bash teachers, I bash administrators. I try to be clear about that. Um, but if you said to most teachers, if I could give you one superpower in your teaching. What would it be? The smart, honest ones would say, the ability to make those children want to learn. Yeah. And it's like, oh, good God, you don't know what you're talking about because they all want to learn. Yeah. They just don't want to learn what you're teaching them the way you're teaching it. Exactly. And, and with homeschool, you have that freedom to find that thing that switches that light on and makes them hungry. Yeah. And so once that's done, they're going to learn. Yeah, and kids, kids learn different ways. There's different ways of learning. And, and, and Jack, you, you nailed it there. So our, we have a son who's an IT professional and never went to college, uh, just got a promotion. But part of the reason why he got a promotion is he's getting all these certifications. Well, the reason why he got a promotion, there are some other guys who've been working where he is longer than he's been there, but they're asking the company to send them to school for these to, to learn the stuff. And Greg just goes off and it's free online and free online and learns it and then passes the test. And he's like, so why do you need to go for a five day class in another city to get the certification when you can just sit here online and 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 learn it and pass the test? And but, but these other people, they just they've been so used to sitting in a classroom and being told, how do I learn? I learn in the classroom that it even goes into the workplace where they're going, OK, you want me to learn a new skill? Send me to a classroom for a week so I can learn it instead of saying, I can go learn that on my own. Especially it's a skill that they use every day. This isn't a skill that's, you know, I might use in the future. This is to enhance the skills on the job they already have and they want to go to a classroom. It's, it's really fascinating. It's just a way of looking at learning that is very different. Got it. So um, how do you maybe leverage extended family members in the homeschooling process? Oh, uh, well, my mom was a school teacher, and that's like that's kind of a good and bad thing <laughs> because there's 
um, she was really group driven. You know, you got to keep the class together. And so when she would help, it would be, oh, I don't have to tell everybody what to do. I can tell my kid, hey, go do this the best that you can, and then we'll talk about it later. Instead of totally giving all the instructions ahead of time. But we do, she's taught my kids writing. She, she's written her own book, and so it was really fun. The kids got to read her book and learn about writing. But um, we don't do so much of our family members, like my mom babysits for us a lot. She's a neighbor also. But we do with other families. So homeschoolers get together with other families that are homeschooling and share um, a lot of strength that um, make it kind of hard to do on your own, when, especially when the kids get to high school. So for the little kids, when you get together for a co-op, it's really about fun and socialization, and you do the art project together. And for the older kids, there's, you know, you're supposed to do all your work at home, and then you come together for these great history discussions. And um, it's really, my kids, that was their favorite part of homeschooling was the friendship part. It didn't really matter what we did, if we did scouting or if we did co-op or whatever. They just really liked having time to be with friends where it wasn't structured. And I think homeschool families should have a little bit more time for that. Yeah, and I think one of the one of the great things that comes out of the home homes, at least for us, the homeschooling um, community. community is the sense of, of self confidence that we've built up in our kids without even trying. It's not like we. I thought, okay, I, my kids need to be self confident. And I've got this program that I'm going to follow that's going to make them self-confident. Just the, the ability of them to say, okay, when mom says, go figure out how to do this and do it to the best of your ability, and then we'll come back and talk about it and figure out how if we need to do it better or what we could have improved on. Just that process of working things through and um, and no pass-fail. Right? It's not like, oh, you failed. Oh, my goodness. It was, okay, so let's work on what do we need to do so that you – get a more accurate answer or the correct answer, their self-confidence. So we've got five adult children who are all very, very self-confident. They're, they're confident in the world. They're, they're confident in their abilities. Uh, none of them lack um, social skills. Um, and they're all, um, uh, it's, I think, self-confidence. Is a big one. They're, they're, and they're, it's not like they're arrogant. They're certainly not arrogant. But they're comfortable in saying, I can go learn something new. Yeah, Right. Everybody, I think all of our kids feel that way. And that's, to us, that's really important because when, I don't know if you remember Kennedy's speech about going to the moon, you know, we, we're going to mm-hmm. build this rocket that's going to go to the moon and we don't even know how to make the material that we need for this rocket, but we're going to do this anyways. And to me, that was kind of a pivotal thing in my early homeschooling that I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what it's going to take. But I want freedom for my children. I want them to enjoy the learning process like I did when I got to be with my mom when we were going to the tide pools along the coast and mountains. And, you know, we did all kinds of really cool stuff that never compared to sitting in a classroom. And so I wanted that for them because I think that's what helps you think differently about things. There's enough pleasers in the world. There's enough people just trying to get along and keeping their head down. And we need some people with the spirit of adventure for what's ahead because our world is changing so rapidly that you don't know what is going to be next. You know, I don't know. I can't say to my kid, well, you should be an accountant because they're going to need accountants. Well, with technology changing, you're going to speak into your 
machine and it's going to do all that for you. I don't need an accountant anymore. No, you just don't know. And so teaching kids to have a spirit of adventure and a love of learning far outweighs passing any test or getting straight A's because those don't really translate into what needs to happen as an adult. You know, I think you're hitting a chronic problem in our country as a whole, and I'm sure public education is a part of it, but I think we've lost that vision that Kennedy had. When you're talking about that, you know, to go to the moon and do the other things, not because they are hard, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I could, I could hear those right, words. Right, because they're hard. And, and, and that vision, and I thought about, like, when I was a little kid, and I'm talking little here, like six years old, watching freaking Mr. Rogers, and an astronaut came on with a moon rock. I was like, I went to my grandmother, I'm, I'm going to go to the moon and bring you back moon rocks and make earrings, you know. And I drink Tang and sit in an easy chair and think I was an astronaut. And I'm like, kids don't do that anymore. And you can blame the video games if you want to, but are you kidding me? That should actually be unlocking more of that, not less if it was properly channeled. It's just like we've lost a vision as people that like, well, something's hard, so we're not going to do it. That, that's right. that's that's replace this concept of well how are we going to do it don't know we're going to do it how are we going to we'll figure it out as we do it you know that's yeah. that's the world I grew up in and I'm like what the hell happened I'm not that old yeah it's it's the imagination I think for lots of kids there somewhere along the line their imagination gets quelched right it gets just put put down but you know we we talk about Tesla and, and the and the cars that 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 are, are being built and we talk about the battery walls. And, and, and those are all extremely fantastic things, and our future looks really – I'm really excited about that stuff. But, you know, over 100 years ago when Ford was coming up with the assembly line that, you know, everybody's going to have a car, and, and the people – when he was saying that, people were going, uh, that can't no be. There's no yeah. way. But it was that imagination and that vision that said – we're going to make it happen. I'm not sure how it's going to happen, but I'm going to work towards that. I've got a, I've got a, I've got an imagination and I've got a vision and this, this is what I'm going to do. And there's still those people. It just doesn't seem that there is as many of them as they used to be. I mean, could you imagine if let's say 20 years ago, you said, I want to make a device that will enable you to communicate with anybody anywhere in the world. And I want it to be so affordable that even poor people will have it. I want it to replace your calculator your GPS, which you don't even have yet. Your phone. You're, you're, right. I want you to replace your, the, the telephone in your home, the computer that's 400 pounds on your desk right now. Your camera. And I, yeah, I want it to replace your camera. I want it to do all of these things. And, I, again, I want it to be so affordable. Anybody in the world can afford it. I want people to be walking around in, in sub-Saharan <laughs> Africa using this device. They would have said, you're crazy, and now that's that's what we have in smartphones. Right. You know, and, and so the people of today should have more vision, not less, because they watched this happen. Yeah, But I, I think they got to the point of, like, well, somebody else will do it. Why right. can't somebody else do it, right? It's yeah. funny because you talk about it as a smartphone. I always tell my kids, you shouldn't even call it a phone. That is like on that device, the app that's used the least is actually is. the phone. It is. So it's, it's a computer. The, the guys that have done these great things, like Bill Gates and the the guy who started Google, they went to really interesting elementary schools. Like if you read their childhood histories, they went to Montessori schools when they were younger and, um, you know, really expensive. There, I mean, there's kindergartens that cost $25,000 a year. 
If, hmm. And that's what I try to do here. I, I, I go out and research, what are these kindergartners doing, these first grades doing that charge twenty dollars and $30,000 a kid? I want to be doing what they're doing. And that's really giving kids freedom to learn. They have a garden. They have a kitchen the kids can work in. You know, lots of hands-on manipulatives. And so, you know, as a homeschooler, you can provide a $30,000 first-grade education for your kid for $1,000 if you want to take the time to do that. And it's just really about committing that time and knowing that you don't need to know everything to get started. Yeah, and one of the things for me, Jack, also is I think I think we set the bar so low for our kids that we don't understand what they're capable of attaining, and we set the bar too low. You know, I, I think the bar should always be be set further than their reach, and then they're going to surprise you. They're going to outreach what you think that they can do. Um, and I see that with my kids all the time. I, uh, you know, I got I, I've had a four year old who's a granddaughter who's learning how to cook. You know, it's my 10 year old knows how to make breakfast. So if he wants to have eggs in the morning, it's like he'll get out a pan and cook some eggs. Um, he doesn't know how to clean yet. <laughs> he knows how to clean. He knows. He's not good. <laughs> he doesn't exactly want to. But I think setting the we, we just don't set the bar high enough. I think the expectations of what our kids can do. I think I think we've dumbed that down. I, I really do. And pursue one of the things that. Um, I've really liked about our homeschool experience is she's always set the bar to the moon for the kids saying, go do this. Yeah. You're not too young to learn how to do this. Let's, let's do this. What do you want to do? Okay. Are you willing to put the effort into doing it? Okay. If you're willing to put the effort into doing it, you can do it. Now let's do it. And, and, and we, we we don't you know I I'm, I'm not here to bash public school either. Sue's best friend's a public school teacher, so. Um, but I think our schools don't do that. You gather kids of all the same age and you put them in the classroom. and You say, okay, this is the material that we've got to get through. And I need so many of you to get A's and so many of you to get B's and so many of you to get C's, and I want to move you along. And that's not setting the bar really high. No, and it's, it, it, the bar is subject to the individual doing the jumping, right? So I was a lot like your first kid, right? I, I was so ever-loving bored in school. I mean, especially once, you know, I got into, like, being a good reader. I would, and I love science, right? So I'd get in a science class the first day, they'd hand me a book, I'd start reading a book while the guy's talking, and I just keep reading. In like three weeks, I've got the book read, cover to cover. I know everything in that book. He's talking. I know what he's saying. I'm sleeping. I don't care. Now, how can a person like that do well in a course like that? Because it's well, they'll get an A, but they haven't really learned anything subject to the time they've been put through. You get another person that's not a good reader that learns differently. How can that serve them? So somewhere out there, there's this group of students that's perfectly served by this system. There's a there's a number of kids in that system. It works brilliantly for. Them. But what about all the rest of them? It's, it's a super small number that it works for. It's probably 10%. The rest of them struggle to get by. And a huge percent, more than 30% drop out. That's just from ninth to 12th grade. As a nation, we don't even keep track of anyone who drops out before ninth grade. And there's a lot of those. It's crazy. Um, the numbers are really skewed, and so they say, "Oh, look, these people are being all these people are being successful, but they're not keeping the numbers right." 
And our hope is with the advance in technology and more parents working from home and the ease of and the really inexpensive ability to homeschool will bring a lot more people home and less dependent on the state. I think, I think the state's seeing that as well. It's really kind of interesting around here in, in, in the San Antonio area. There are billboards <laughs> that are saying public school is cool. <laughs> Send your kids to public school. And I'm thinking you've got a monopoly that you're supposedly giving them a free education. Why do you have to advertise on billboards that, you know, public school is cool? And it's crazy. I think they're feeling a little threatened. I think they are. I think they are. Like, and here's a perfect example of the game that you're talking about. Uh, Dallas School District's one of the worst in the country. And they, they, their, their published high school graduation rate is 77%. But the percentage of students in Dallas area school districts who begin school and then graduate is around 50%. Right. They're hiding a quarter of their, more than a quarter of their failure rate because of exactly what you said, since they never enter high school. Right. Right? Then they're not considered a high school dropout. Yeah, but, but a bureaucracy, its main goal is to maintain the bureaucracy. And so sure. they have to do that by lying because it doesn't work. And so the only way to hold it up is to lie about it. And it, to me, it's really sad. You know, we, I knew a kid who was super bright, brilliant kid. He could pass every test. He wouldn't turn his work in. It was stupid. Why should he turn the work in? Why should he answer all these questions? Just give me the test. Well, he can't graduate from high school because he won't turn his work in. Then the other kid who turns all his work in can't pass the test, but he doesn't graduate either. It's like, what do you want? You know, do you want somebody who can turn all their work in or do you want somebody who can pass the test? But Yeah, you're giving me flashbacks, man. I, was, I remember being in like fifth grade. And then we would have these assignments, and, and it would be there are all these questions at the end of the chapter in the history book, and you had to sit down and write the question and the answer. Well, I'd just write down all the answers and turn it in, and I'd get lower grades on it. And they're like, well, why won't you do this? I'm like, why would I? Why would I write down the question that's it's already there? And I, I had this answered before you, like, I already, I'm like, we'll go through the whole book. I'll answer every question right now. Yeah. And, and, and you know, to be fair to these poor teachers, you're, you're, you're pleading with a fifth grader who's smarter than you. And I know that sounds arrogant, but honest to God, they were. And you can't get the kid to do it. And well, But that's not the teacher's fault, and that's not the student's fault. That's the system is broken. And so kind of where I want to go from here is what do you hear? I'm sure because I know like the community around homeschooling is incredibly tight. And it's getting bigger and bigger. And I was looking at the numbers, and let me make sure I, I don't you know, lie here. So I'm looking at a graph uh, from the Institute on Educational Sciences. Uh, homeschool growth in the United States, about 700,000 in 1999. In 2012, more than 2 million. So there's incredible growth in that community. And as you guys talk to each other and your numbers grow, what do parents tell you is their reason for removing children from government education? There's a couple the, of different the, reasons. The main reason people pull their kids out, um, if it's not, I just want to homeschool, is because of bullying. That's what we hear mostly. That either their kids being bullied in elementary school by a teacher or other students, and the parent goes to the school over and over again, and they finally get fed up, and they give up. 
and they pull their kids out. So that's really the number one reason. The second reason is um, probably what we hear the most after that is I don't want my child who can't sit still to be forced to sit still and be in trouble all the time. We're going to put him on medication because he can't sit still. Yeah. So I would say, you know, when we first started homeschooling, it was really a religious, not for us, but for the homeschool community, it was very conservative, Christian, um, really. I mean, every group had this really intense doctrinal statement you had to sign. Yeah, so we were really, this, <laughs> that, was a, that was a struggle for us because, so we're homeschoolers, so we don't fit in with the rest of the regular, quote-unquote, regular community. But then within the homeschool community, there were all these really devout Christians, and we weren't quite with them. And so we were kind of... Like, like, we feel like we're devout Christians, but, you know, there's a lot of things I don't care what you believe. And these people need you to believe everything the same. So that was it was really yeah. hard early on to find a group. And um, now it's very easy to find a group there. I mean, they have a Wiccan homeschool group here in San Antonio. So, what you know, whatever you're doing there's a homeschool group for you. So that's kind of fun and helpful, but then it's also, there's a lot less commitment to excellence now than there was when we first started out. There's a lot of people that say, oh, I'm unschooling and they're, they're not doing anything, which I think is better than going to school myself. (laughs) (laughs) Not good enough, but still better than what everybody else thinks is the gold standard. Yeah, so, I mean, the main thing, like, when they, when you hear, like, we don't have enough kids going into the STEM sciences, science, technology, educate, um, engineering, and mathematics, you know, the kids that do that are the kids that don't read early on. And so you disenfranchise them their first three or four years of school by telling them they're stupid, and those are the kids who drop out early because they've been told they're stupid, and they're actually the ones who have the mind that works for those things we say we want. But I, part of it is, you know, you mostly elementary school teachers are female. And I think that that's a serious problem. Because women learn differently than men. They have different expectations of behavior. They like everyone to sit still. I'm, I'm saying that, and I was like a horrible elementary school student. My report cards were, I was bad. I got a lot of swats. We went to school where you got swats. I got a lot of them. But um, there's just an imbalance to that learning. And then the expectation of what you're saying you want, you've destroyed that early on. And so as a homeschool mom, if your kid doesn't learn anything till they're 10, they've just been playing with sticks and rocks and they have some rabbits in the backyard or whatever, and when you start teaching them at 10 or 11, they're going to be way better off having had freedom to just enjoy their childhood and then start learning. When you look at what an average person remembers, if you gave them a high school test, right, it's, it's not exactly a lot. And the fact that we take 13 years of captivity yes. to get people to know what they actually do know when they come out of the 12th grade is kind of preposterous. Like, the, the reason they have a monopoly on education is, yes, programming, but it's also the only possible way you could ever have a customer base 
be satisfied with air quotes around it with that kind of a result. I imagine if like you were an employer and you had to pay for your employee to get, you know, some kind of training and they said, "Well, it's going to take like eight years." <laughs> Right, he'd be like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Like, I, I, I'll be out of business before the guy's back. You know, I'll, I'll, or maybe I'll sold out, or you know, like his job won't exist anymore. Like, it's ridiculous when you think about the length of time it takes. And it, isn't it coincidental that school goes right to, for the average student right to eighteen? Like, it, like almost like they designed that process around the age rather than around actual learning capabilities. Right about the time the kid can wipe its own butt, right, and and sit down when told to sit down, they enter. And right about the time that they are an adult, where they could say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore, and you can't make them, we're done. I mean, th- th- if you if you think about that alone, and you think about the des- like every system that exists was designed for a reason, and you put those two together, you go, oh, I get it now. We we. It's unbelievable, really, when you think about it. Yeah, well, I mean, when you consider, like, early compulsory education, like, you had to go for six weeks out of the year. And the the age level kind of changed the first 20 years from 8 to 14 to 10 to 16. And in different states, it went back and forth, you know, trying to figure out the right, best thing to do. But, you know, if you meet people from – we met this guy from India – him and his brothers grew up out at the edge of the earth and didn't get to go to school till they were 10 or 11 years old and didn't know how to read, knew nothing. They show up at school 10 or 11 years old. They've got PhDs, masters, multiple PhDs and masters among them. And um, he, he's like, why do you do this in America? <laughs> you know? Well, Jack, to your point about the high school education. So it's one thing to, to, to say, okay, I know how to learn. It's one thing to say, uh, I've, I've got a quote unquote well-rounded education. But if you take somebody that is, I'd say even 25, but let's say 30 years old, and you give them high school exams, right, the finals for your know, last semester of high school, whatever, and have them take the test, how much of that material do they actually retain? <laughs> Almost not. Almost not. I mean, it's. Because it's not stuff that they're going to ever use. Now, if you're if you're in some field and there's mathematics involved and you're using it on a regular basis because it's part of what you do, you're going to retain that because you're using it all the time. Even a carpenter, right? A, a carpenter has a lots of different things that, that they have to retain in terms of measurements, in terms of um, angles or ratios, and they do it enough that it becomes part of who they are. And those are the things that they won't forget. But so much of what we teach our kids is stuff that, you know, it's, it's I don't want to say it's irrelevant, but in the long term, it really is in terms of what they're going to do for a career. Well, anything that you spend time and energy learning and don't retain is by the very nature of the word irrelevant, irrelevant. Yeah. yeah. Even if the thing would be beneficial, if it's a, if it's if it's a known that ninety percent of students will not know this or know how to do this when they're twenty, then the entire process was irrelevant because they haven't actually learned it. And I think the big thing that we've been talking about today is teaching is really enabling learning, right? It's not 
pushing information in. It's not it's not Neo in the Matrix where you plug a cable into their head and 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 and, and that's the the, the the analogy there that you shove the information in, cause them to regurgitate it, and therefore they've demonstrated proficiency and now they know how to do it. Yeah, so the, the cool thing about a homeschool group, say there's a, a junior high group and we're reading George Washington, about George Washington, everybody's reading the same book. They read 10 chapters of the same book. They get together to discuss it, and they all, all had a different perspective. And one of them, we were reading Abraham Lincoln, and this kid said, yeah, he really liked pancakes. And they're like, what? What book did you read? And he's like, I read the book you all read. And so they're all sitting there looking through their book, and sure enough, it says, Abraham Lincoln liked pancakes. Because we all pull something different out of whatever information we get. Yeah, when they're force-feeding you and they're teaching you, these are the things you have to know, you don't get to, to use your brain to ask the questions about what it is you really want to know about that subject matter. And what interests you and what connects it to something else. It's, it's very yeah. sad. You know, I, it makes me think back to high school. The few really good teachers I did have, one was a, a literature teacher, and she would basically provoke us. She would figure out two students that had different opinions on, let's say, Julius Caesar and was was Brutus really an honorable guy or not, right? And then she would provoke an argument, and she'd sit back and let you argue with each other about your opinion on it. Yes. And I think there was more learning in that yes. than there would ever be by, you know, asking, what is the main theme? It, you know, at Acts 6, 7, you know, whatever, what happened or whatever. Like, that's not learning. Like, having an actual opinion about what you've read and what the author was trying to convey, especially when you're talking about one of the greatest authors that's ever lived, is that, it, and so that meant that students in that class, even if they weren't the ones that directly participated in that debate, had learned to form an opinion of the literature because if you, at, if they get a straight A, but you gave them the same test that's usually given with something like Julius Caesar or Romeo and Juliet or whatever, you give them that test when they're 25, they can't pass that test. It's not going to happen. But they'll still have that opinion of the concepts that actually is the real reason you would read that type of literature. But it's getting people to think. Getting, you know, even grown-ups, we don't want to spend a lot of time thinking. We don't want to use logic and reason. We just want to say... That's how I feel about it. That's good enough. Let's not talk about that anymore. But I find when, I, when I'm teaching a high school literature class and the kids have read a book that I've read and I love, like I love U- Utopia, Sir Thomas More's Utopia. I think it's hilarious. And, um, but then I want to talk too much, and I don't ask enough questions of the kids because I have so much I want to say. But if it's a book I haven't read for a while and I'm leading the discussion and, you know, drawing kids out and asking them questions and then – then they don't need me anymore. Then they are picking up that discussion and they're talking about what interests them. And that's what's important in learning. It's not what interests your teacher or the person leading that discussion that's important. It's what you're getting out of it because that's what you're going to connect to the next thing in your life. And it's so it's so interesting when, you know, you talk about ancient Rome and the kids are like, man, they were so stupid to do that. And it's like, how is that different than what we're doing today? And they're like, what do you mean? Well, like, we're still at war. We're at war. We hire people to go to war for us, and we give them citizenship, just like they did in ancient Rome. And so you get kids thinking that, okay, this is why history is relevant. And it's it's enjoying learning that's really at the heart of homeschooling. And you learning with your kids, learning 
whatever they want to know. Yeah, Our but, son wanted to be a fireman for a you know brief shiny moment. That was his dream. And so we really dug in. We did history. We did a lot of cooking because firemen like to cook. And we did a lot of science on, you know, pyrotechnic kinds of things, which then you went to sometimes the gets out of hand. Volunteer fire department. And so we just dove into what it was that he wanted to learn. And he had to set up his own curriculum and pick some books. And um, he learned a lot, but he also learned he didn't want to do that. And that, to me, that's one of the best things about homeschooling. When your kid says, I want to be a chemist. And you're like, oh, that's great, because our friend Steve's a chemist, and he said you can go to work with him. And your kid goes to work, he's like, I don't want to be a chemist. They have to sit in the lab all day. You know, so it's the opportunity to learn what real people do in their real jobs every day and what they really need to know to do that job. That um, is, That's part of the beauty of homeschooling is that just that passion to pursue whatever it is that interests your kids. Yeah, Jack, I tell you, when, when Sue was talking about when they're doing a discussion about a book that they've read, one time, more than once, but on occasion, I'll come home from work early, and that discussion will be going on, and I'll, I'll come in, and there's a group of kids. And what's really cool is they're sitting around in a circle or a semicircle, and they're not raising their hands. They're having a discussion like adults would sitting around in the evening having a, having a cocktail, or, you know, having a beer and, and talking. They're sitting around. You know, uh, making argumentative points, discussing things, giving their opinions in a very normal conversational manner. Not let me raise my hand like Horshack, ooh, 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 Mr. Cotter. You know, it's not like that. It's um, and as, as Sue said, as, as that conversation when it really gets going and it's going well, then the teacher in that group can just you know take themselves out of the picture and just let the conversation go on. It and it's really cool to watch. But it's not just that. So there's when you're learning history or science, there's this depth that you can't cover in school because you're trying to pass a test and you don't have enough time. And it doesn't include, you know, our history includes making food from those time periods, making costumes. Um, it's just I, it's so fun. I don't know. And it's not hard. It's time consuming, but it's not hard. Yeah, and on the time-consuming thing, we're just not a big TV-watching family. So there's lots of times when what we're doing in the evening is working on a project and, um, you know, not not consuming so much television. Although this coming Sunday, there's uh, a Pittsburgh Steelers-New <laughs> England Patriots football game. That but we're boycotting football. Not me. Because of Colin Kaepernick. No. You can boycott all you want. I'll be watching. Colin Kaepernick don't play for the Steelers. Yeah. <laughs> boycott of football my whole yeah. life. Yeah, she, she says that, and I always say, yeah, you can boycott it all you want because I'm still. Oh, you're one of those. I like the people that, like I'm never whatever. I I can't think of what magazine put Kaepernick on the cover and and made him you know citizen of the year. So I'll never GQ. I'll never buy GQ again. Have oh, have you ever bought GQ? Come on, let's get. Have you ever even read it in the doctor's office? No. Then I don't think you're making a statement. <laughs> you know, I really don't. I, I think you went to government school. That's what I think. And I'll even say that sometimes. I'm like, you know, even smart people we say or do stupid things once in a while. That's become my thing. Like. Uh, you know, Jeff Foxworthy's thing was, I'm a guy, you know. Like, so my thing has become like when I, when I, you know, occasionally lick a little Windex off the window and do something dumb, I'm like, I'm sorry, I went to government school, you know. 
Well, that, I, I, I guess I can use that as an excuse, too. So. No, you can't. You don't go to yeah. <laughs> in your whole life. So what are some of the reasons you've heard that keep people from homeschooling their kids when they would actually like to do it? Now, I don't mean like they don't want to do it. They want to do it, but they, they, they feel like they can't or, or what have you. Um, I think it's the same thing that keeps us from doing almost anything in life, and it's fear of the unknown and what the result is going to be. And as Americans, we have this really strong sense of if I do this, then this is the result of whatever I did. And it's just not true. There's so many variables in life. And I just think it's fear that keeps people from like, what curriculum would I use? Who cares? Figure it out as you go. What time of day will I start? I don't know. Does that matter? Does that matter to anybody but you? And so we put all these roadblocks up and tell ourselves that we can't figure them out instead of saying, I want to homeschool, so I'm going to homeschool, and I'm going to figure it out as I go. Because that's what everybody does. And even though our homeschool is pretty much the same as it's been for a number of years, you know, our kids change ages. There's just so much change going on in life that you're constantly reevaluating. It's like having ducks. It's like having a flock of ducks. You know, you had two ducks. They can be in a little pen with a little tiny pool. Well, you've got 300 ducks. Then you got to do something different. And so it's just deciding. I think the fear in deciding, the other fear is probably like, what will people think? And, and who cares? Quite frankly, who cares what other people will think? What, what does your child think? You know, if your child is struggling in school and they're being bullied or they're wanting them to be medicated, I mean, who cares what anybody thinks if your child is needing that freedom to just be themselves and giving them a little more time to grow up before they head to school, you know, if that's what you want to do. Or maybe your kid's in high school and they're hating it. Um, who cares what anybody else thinks? Who cares what it's going to look like? You know, should you want to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do? You want to do what's best for your child because it's the best thing to do. And obviously, we think homeschooling is the best choice. And it's not just an educational best choice because we really do believe it is because you have freedom to learn. When you're learning what you love, you retain that more. But it's also turning the tide on a culture that is so ingrained in compliance. And the only way to do that is to get these people out of compliance mode and into freedom and thinking for themselves and just enjoying their life because it's what they enjoy. So it's hard. It's a, there's a lot of fear. Yeah. Because it's different. That's, that's by far number one is the fear factor, I think, absolutely. Yeah, the next one is the cost. I think what... How much will this cost? You could do it for free. Early on, we got all free stuff. We had green bar, dot matrix, printer paper, and I would check out a math book at the library, you know, a kindergarten math book, and I would, like, make a math book on this just dot matrix paper for my kids. I made everything by hand because we didn't have a computer or a printer when we started. So people would donate paper to us, and... It's just about deciding whether you're going to do it if you feel it's the right thing. Yeah, another one is the, the two incomes going down to one income. Uh, there's so many people who think that, that, that they can't do that. 
And when we did that, it was a it was a, a big hit because Sue made basically the same amount of money I was making. So we took a 50% cut in, in, in our income, which meant we had to go from two vehicles down to one, which meant we lived in a neighborhood that wasn't as nice as we would have liked, but it was safe. And it was it was older, which is it was an older neighborhood. Um, so there were choices we had to make along the way. But as we were doing that and uh, and as my head got turned around properly to look at what it meant to being investing in my kids, it was like, OK, so there are sacrifices that we're going to have to make. You know, we want cable TV. Well, every once in a while we would have it. And after a while I realized, boy, there's 300 channels and nothing on. So let's not spend the money on cable TV. And it became really, um, for me, um, how do I invest in my my kids? Because they're really the legacy that I'm leaving behind. I'm not leaving a legacy where I work. I work for a great company and they treat me really well, but that's not really my legacy. My legacy is my children and my grandkids. And how do I invest in them? And part of that investment was, okay, Sue's going to stay home and she's going to invest her daytime, you know, her time with the kids. She's going to be investing in their future. And... Um, and when we sat down, it's like, okay, we'll, we'll make this work. And we've made it work out. We, we live a very comfortable lifestyle. It's like, you know, we're, we're certainly not poor. And, uh, and it's just one of those things where do we buy a new car? No, we buy a used car. So, okay, so I buy a car and it's got 16,000 miles on it or it's got 30,000 miles and I'm paying a lot less than if I'm buying a brand new one, but it's going to last, you know, we have a Toyota Sienna minivan that, you know, we'll put 300,000 miles on that thing by the time we're done. Um, so there, there are those kind of choices, but there are lots of people who look at it and go, well, I don't know that we can financially do it. And and for some people, that's realistic. For some people, they can't. It, you know, if, if No, it's a totally valid thing yeah. for some people. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, but we have friends that homeschool that live with their parents. You know, they live at grandparents' house and um, – and they make it work because that's what, you know, they want yeah. for their children and the parent, grandparents are supportive of that and they make a really nice life for themselves. But each, each family, you know, everybody's an individual. Each family is different. And so you have to look at your, where you're at and, and what you can and can't do. And quite frankly, there are people that we know that have homeschooled that probably shouldn't have. Um, they just didn't have, I, I don't know if, if they're saying they didn't have the, the discipline to do it is correct, but there are some people that we know that um, it may not have been the best decision to make. You know, I, I think there might be also the place for children getting that foundational discipline from an institution and then coming into homeschooling. We were doing a lot of work with my grandson, Braylon, before school, and as much as I don't like school, I have to admit that his first year of school did a lot for him to be easier for me to teach. And I think some people that, you know, maybe they, they their kids go to the government school for a couple of years, and then you bring them home and homeschool. They're also a little bit older, and that means they don't need quite as much supervision. And then, like, that will work for some people. And for other people, it might be the worst thing in the world to do that because, you know, they, they get into a lot of uh, programming very, very young with them because – the goal of the kindergarten teacher, I, I don't think anymore, is to teach anything other than compliance, right? Right. So that when they get to first grade, they'll sit down, shut up, and listen. That's If you get that out of them and if they can point doggy and kitty, we're good, right? Yeah. Nap time and they learn to get in a line and walk. Like, that's what they're really learning. 
Uh, you know, and so that that might be okay. It might work for some. It might not work for others. I think it all depends. Yeah, it's just the more power you give the state, the more power they want. And I think power yeah. over your children is um, – it just sets a dangerous precedence, both for your child as they grow and believe that the state's going to provide for them and for your neighbor who doesn't have children that you've just stolen from them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What do you say to critics? Because there are still the homeschool critics. You know, they, they either not, they're socially awkward, they, they don't learn enough, you know, how are they going to go to college, what kind of job are they going to get? You hear this stuff. I think you hear less of it, to be fair, now that, like, there's, you know, on any given day you can go out and find two million different kids doing this. It's not quite as easy to say that stuff. But w what do you say to critics? First thing I say is come see. <laughs> come see what we're doing. Come meet my kids. I mean, I, I had where I work. I work for a large corporation um, uh, in the belly of the beast, and um, uh, lots of those people went through the government schools, on through to government universities, and then into giant corporations. And they know that we're homeschooling. And when our, my kids were younger, I would bring them to work, and. Some people would, would want to meet them because they thought that they were would be like aliens with maybe a third eye in their forehead or whatever. And uh, when they meet them, they go, man, your, your kids are great. And some people would come out and I'd, I'd say, I'm really surprised that, uh, wow, you know, your, your kids are great. And, and they're so easy to talk to. And but that's generally what I tell people is when, when we when we've had criticism or whatever, my my kids do that now. My older kids. It's funny. Some people say something about homeschooling, and then they'll say, "I was homeschooled," and they go, "No, you weren't. There's no way you were homeschooled." And I'm like, "Yeah, I was. I'm homeschooled." <laughs> well, you must be different than the other kids. And they're like, "No, most of the people that that I grew up with homeschooling are just like me. We're just normal people." Yeah. Uh, and 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 most of the homeschoolers that we know, and I don't know if that's just, uh, it, it it's one of those things where very liberty minded. Right, so very much uh, um, a liber libertarian bent, uh, and a number of them would be like us, very much anarchist in in their beliefs. Uh, and it's a natural out. I think that's a natural outtake of of homeschooling for for kids, especially is I can live my own life. I don't need somebody telling me what to do to live my life. I can do that myself. So the longer you homeschool and the more you see the products of, like, a lot of kids that we know that homeschooled, they're really good workers. They all have jobs. There's nobody unemployed living in their parents' basement. They, um, they're really successful, not necessarily going to college, but very successful in trades. Maybe it was a family business. And when you see that, with no help from the government – they manage to raise these really great children. You just you're creating an a group of people who are going to be less inclined to go yes when the government says I'm going to here I'm here to help. They're going to go no, I don't need your help. Yeah, and that's what we're looking for. We're looking to help families say to the government, I don't need your help. We're going to work with our neighbors. We're going to help our families, just like your CAC group. You know, how much more efficient is that to go in and help in a neighborhood when you don't have a bureaucracy that needs to control everything? You just go in and help. And that's what homeschooling is exactly what you set up there. 
citizens, assisting citizens, and that's what homeschooling is. It's exactly what you designed for disasters. Yeah, to your point, Jack, earlier, so the growth in homeschooling is because more and more people are seeing the, the end results of the homeschooling movement from back in the 80s when, when we started. Um, and so it's not as... It's not as scary. It's not as perceived as being as weird. And more and more people know homeschoolers. So it's easier for them to go, okay, I see how you do that. And maybe I can do that. And you have a lot of kids who grew up homeschooling that have their own children now. And so they're homeschooling. And that's a really cool thing to see. So... What do you say to people that ask, like, how can they get some of the benefits of homeschooling if, for whatever reason, it's just not actually in the cards for them? They're going to have to rely on the government schools, but they don't want to allow their children to become fully indoctrinated. They want them to learn beyond, etc. So turn the TV off and ask your kid what they want to learn. You, you, even if your kid goes to school and you're at work, you've got a lot of hours after that. And... Just learn, do go on adventures and learn stuff with them and come up with a plan and design stuff or sew something or, you know, for Christmas, a lot of people get toys, lots of crappy toys that end up in the trash. You know, buy a sewing machine instead or whatever it is that they have a passion for. A really good microscope. You know, even if your kid's looking at boogers under the microscope, they're learning how to use that microscope that they're going to really love and it's part of their passion. So as a parent, you know, I feel really strongly that it's not your job to decide what your kid's going to do when they grow up, but help them discover who they are so that they can find out what they want to do. And, and modeling good stuff for them. So, so my kids, my adult children who are homeowners, they do a lot of their own work on their houses. There are a lot of DIY guys because that's what I that I did. I, I modeled that. Right. I, I do a we, well. The house we live in, we built. So. We model not just home, home repairs, but building a home. And when we were doing that, we got all the kids involved. And so um, my son Jack is, is 10, and a couple of years ago we built a deck on our, on our pool. And he was involved next to me. He did more work on that deck than anybody else. He drilled all the holes for all the balusters. Uh, he did a whole bunch of drilling, you know, putting screws in. So he was eight years old, I guess, yeah. at the time. And, you know, he wore safety glasses. I did a, a quick class on here's how we use a drill. Here's how we use, you know, a drill with a, uh, a, a, um, a screw bit in it. Here's what we do. Here's how we use a speed square to square things up as we're working on it. And then we started working together. And so it was, it, it, did it slow me down? Yeah, it slowed me down. Did it give him confidence that he can build stuff? Yes. Uh, did he take pride in the work that he did? <laughs> Absolutely. And did he do a good job? Fantastic. Nobody can tell the difference between the pieces that I screwed in and the pieces he screwed in. So including your kids in what you're doing also, that's a huge teaching opportunity. When you're canning or gardening, um, you know, what do they want to can? What do they want to garden? What did, you know, you include them in that process so that you're all learning together. And it's really about just enjoying learning together and playing games and stuff like that. Yeah, because you have weekend time, too. So school's out on Friday afternoon, okay, so you plan something that, like like Sue said, most of the time when we do canning, we do canning on a Saturday. You know, and so it's it's a it's a Saturday adventure. If I'm brewing beer, I'll brew beer on it. Usually it's a Saturday. 
And, you know, if we're going to make cider, it, it's going to happen usually on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. And when I'm doing those things, I always invite the kids to help. <laughs> you know, you say the brewing beer, and this gives me a great memory. When I was uh, bringing Matt up, and he was in, like, first grade, he would brew beer with me. And apparently, you know, kids talk, so he told his teacher that he, he made beer with his, with his stepdad. And uh, the, the teacher, when we had one of the parent-teacher nights, said that that was a little bit concerning to her. Oh I said, well, he's making it. He's not drinking it. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I said, well, by the way, he, he knows some fairly advanced algebra for calculate, calculating uh, – the alpha acid ratios for bittering units uh, with hops into beer. And he knows quite a bit about ancient Sumerian and Egyptian history from the genesis of beer, as we've talked about it. Have you taught him about ancient Sumerian history, Egyptian history, how grain is grown, or chemistry, or advanced algebra? Has he learned any of that in, in first grade? How about specific gravity? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you only pile it on so much at one time, yeah. right? And she was like, oh, well, I, I, I see. And I was thinking, I didn't say anything because I'm already getting the evil eye from Dorothy for messing with the thing. But it was like, I was just thinking, no, you, you, you really don't, do you? You really don't. But at least we're done with the conversation. <laughs> yeah, so when we when we were studying ancient Egypt, they happened to be harvesting wheat near us. And so we got to go in the field and collect it and dry it and you know we threshed it and winnowed it and ground it we ended up grinding it in a, a coffee grinder because we couldn't in the mortar and pestle it was really hard and we made bread on a stone that we had a fire under and um because we have time to do that and it took months you know i can't do all of those things i can't harvest wheat and dry it in that that day it takes months to dry you know, we did the same thing with the giant orange amaranth that we grew. We did the whole process and made food out of it. And it takes months. And it's not very much each day, but you need months to get to that end result. And that's what school can't do. They can't do the entire breadth of a specific project. They just pull these little pieces out and it's like, okay, we're done. So it's learning together for a family that can't homeschool, you know, for whatever reason, that coming with the process where you're learning together, maybe you, you know, you give up soccer because your kid doesn't really like it. And you find another friend who wants to, another family who wants to join you and do some fun stuff. You don't need a whole group, another family or two um, that's interested in what you're doing. It's just really fun. It doesn't take a thousand people. It doesn't take a government bureaucracy to learn and have fun. Yeah, a lot of that is, is and it's, a lot of those are hobbies that, that you can do with your kids. And part of it is, you know, it's it's the, the line upon line stuff. So in terms of worrying about the indoctrination, um, teach them at home and, and, and explain to them and open their eyes to what's happening while they're in school so that they have an understanding of it. Now, uh, they don't have to be rebellious in, within school. But as, as they're growing up, you can explain to them, here's, here's why this happened. If there's an incident at school or if a teacher is wanting to be more compliant and giving them an understanding of that's not my expectation of you, but that's what the school's expectation is. And while you're there, you're going to have to meet some of those expectations because, quite frankly, in the real world, when you go out, there are bureaucracies that yep. you have to deal with. I mean, if you want to get a driver's license, you've got to go down to the Department of Public Safety and you're going to have to deal with them. And you have to understand those things. That's kind of some of the things that you – that's part of life. And so 
even though you're going through the, the, the school system and the indoctrination system, there's lots of things that you can point out to say, this is the way they do it in school, and this is where you are at, but that's not necessarily what we believe in, and here's why. And you can have that conversation. Yeah, so knowing what your kids are learning about is really important if your kids are in school. And talking to them about those things, you know, maybe not so much math or, you know, writing, but the history, you know, and how much has science changed in the last, uh, we just had a a grandbaby born and my mom went to the hospital with me today and she's like, man, it was so different. You know, women used to stay in the hospital for 10 days. That's when the hospitals were in charge and they wanted you to stay for 10 days because they can make more money. So their science said Women should stay in the hospital for 10 days. But when the insurance company is like, what? we got to pay for that. No, science says you should go home the next day. So just learning, just learning with your kids and everyday stuff that you do. There's so much to learn about. It's not about school. It's not about what's in a textbook. What's in a textbook is so tiny compared to what's happening in real life. The other thing I think school leaves out that's really important is connecting that to what's going on in the world around you. You know, it's easy to say that, oh, we should go bomb North Korea or, oh, no, we should leave them alone. But, you know, there's very little in the news about how we got here with North Korea. And so teaching your kids about what's really going on. I mean, so we love listening to you when we're driving around and, um, just so our kids get a little glimpse of what's going on around them without all the, you know, pharmaceutical funded <laughs> news information. Yeah. How has, how has TSP kind of influenced you guys? I mean, the way I found you was one of your, one of your kids, adult children came to uh, one of my workshops and said, and told me about what you guys do and suggested you guys for the expert council and said, you guys have been listening for a long time. So Generally, you don't keep listening to something unless you're gaining something from it. So, oh, yeah. is is there any way that I've you know gotten into your your homeschooling uh, world? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. even in the homeschooling community, there's a lot of um, group structure that doesn't allow for freedom. So we kind of walked away from some of that, which has been really nice. We're enjoying our life way more without that stress of bureaucracy. I really, I'm, I, I love, I mean, Michael has to go to work every day, but I get to live in a pretty bureaucratic, free environment. But um, I, when I was homeschooling, I was doing everything for my kids and with my kids and whatever they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, I'm still homeschooling. <laughs> but now I, because of listening to you, I took up canning again and some other things that I grew up doing as a child, but I hadn't picked up as an adult because none of my kids were interested. And it's been real fun because they're interested now. And my daughter will come from Houston and we'll can because they love canned black beans or, you know, whatever. And so just doing some things myself because I love them has been really fun. Well, for me, the, the big thing is, um, so back in 2001, Tropical Storm Allison in Houston, our house flooded. Um, and it could have been a, a, disaster, a real disaster for us. We were not prepared. Quite frankly, I mean, we were unprepared. And um, when we moved away from Houston, which was a year later, to, to the San Antonio area, um, 
we started thinking about that. We were looking about where would we live that we could avoid flooding. It was one of the things that came to our mind. And we started thinking about things like um, storing water. A little bit of food. And a little bit of food. Um, and then we started listening to, to, to you. And I thought, well, you know, the things about, you know, doubling up when you're going to the store, buy, when you're replacing one, buy two, so you have it. We started doing those kinds of things. Yeah, so our first practical application from listening to you was our pantry. We have a huge pantry. It just was full of appliances and cute platters and that kind of thing. And so we had to, you know, clear that out and go, we're going to put actually put food in here. And um, so that was the first big practical step that we took was the pantry. Yeah, we've done – basically, we've, we follow uh, – we've got friends who are uh, big followers, Jack, of, of TSP. And, um, you know, I've got a Berkey sitting in our county here that we use for filtering water. So we take the water that we collect off our roof and run it through the, the Berkey. And everybody that comes in just talks about how great our water tastes. Um, <laughs> but we've got uh, – you know, we use two is one, one is none. We have two inverters. And so when the hurricane hit back in, when was that, August, um, we lost power for a day. So we didn't lose power because we connected the inverter up to the cars and, and we were able to keep everything going. Um, and and we, have, we apply those things. And so in our homeschooling, I'm teaching our kids, and so is Sue, all of these things. And so for all of our kids, it's like these are things you need to think about because it's important in your life, and it's the things about. So, what are the disasters that are gonna gonna hit? What happens if you lose your job? You know, and and so they're thinking along the same mindset. Now, I've got some kids who listen to you, and and some that don't listen to podcasts at all, so they're not listening to you. But they hear you because we talk about it on a regular basis. It's part of it's part of our it's become part of our, our life, part of our culture. Yeah, but even in school, so we follow a history cycle that's every four years we come back around to ancient history and since listening to you it's been the food issue and food storage has become a bigger part of our homeschooling and it's just really interesting because I don't think you really get that anywhere else so we're you know learning how to how do you store eggs like they did in ancient Egypt and Russia and uh, just really weird bizarre stuff that we've gotten to learn about oh Alex shrugs so the whole uh, the 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 year that was the episode with Alex shrugs we would listen to those with the kids and just some really fascinating discussions about that stuff but it's just it's really enriched our lives I gotta tell you Jack seriously it's been pretty fantastic so we listen to other podcasts but they podcasts tend to be pretty monolithic and it's funny because if you read um, on different things, different medias that you're on and people will say, Oh, this is all about gardening. And then the next person says, this is all about ducks. And the next person says, this is all about guns. And it's like, y'all, it can't be all about any of those. It's all about <laughs> all of these things. And it's like, so to us, it's really interesting because I'm, you know, fishing is my least favorite thing in the whole world. Cause you have to sit still for that. And, um, <laughs> But when you, I listen to you when you're talking about fishing, because I'm driving in the car, I'm not, I don't change the radio or turn anything off. It's just the, whatever comes up next. That's what I listen to. And I love listening to it because it's not really about fishing. It's about learning. It's about what you learned and how you went through this process. And you tried this and that. And, um, and so I love listening about fishing, which is, seemed really kind of weird to me when I realized this is really interesting. And you're talking about fishing. But it's because learning applies to every subject. It applies to every subject. You know you don't have to sit still when you fish, right? Well, 
You know, you really can, like, there's, like, lots of ways to fish that you can. I think you'd love jug fishing. You drive around in a boat. I mean, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I just, it's never been. I love I love taking the fish off the hook and everything. It's just. Uh, he likes cleaning yeah, fish, yeah. which is good. She likes cleaning fish. She just doesn't like to do the actual fishing. Yeah, it's boring. But, no, we've loved, we love what you're doing. And um, it's it's made a huge impact on us. In a, in a really positive way of, you know, some ideas that kind of hang around in the back of your head when you're like, I want to homeschool. I don't want my kid to be part of that structure. And you don't really know why. So the other thing you've done is answer a lot of those why questions for us. Like we made some choices early on that are very libertarian, you know, anti-establishment kind of things, but we didn't really know why. We just knew we didn't like that. And so it's nice to have a better answer now when people ask us. Yeah, we've got neighbors. You know, when I say neighbors, you know, we don't live in this. We don't live where houses are on top of one another. There's acreage in between the neighbors. You know, they get in their car to drive over. But we have a neighbor. It was really cool. He uh, he wanted to su- surprise his wife with Christmas presents this year. So he asked if he could come over and use our Amazon account so the stuff would be delivered here. So he's basically paying us cash if we would order the stuff. And everything that he was ordering was from T-Status. <laughs> all, all the Christmas items, all things that came from, from your items of the day. And I thought, oh, this is fantastic. You know, it's like, you get the, all those from Jack. He goes, yeah, my wife just loves it. She goes, these are the things that she wants. And, and she goes, she's going to be really happy with these things. And I was like, that's fantastic. Yeah, and you saw you. I think it's cool when I see when I see stuff like, whoa. Anyway, I think it's cool when I see stuff that's like, you see, you, you go to order one of your own products and you see, you know, people who ordered this also ordered, like, these three other things, and usually they're kind of similar, and, like, they're totally unrelated, but they're all items that I've reviewed. Yeah. I guess this works. Yeah. I, I bought the instant, uh, the read thermometer, which my friend bought for his wife, and down below there was several different I items. Listen, you just told her what a Christmas present was. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, just, just one. Oh, well, she'll know one present. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, so I'll see one, and then there's there's three other things that pop up, and I go, those things aren't related. The only way that those are related is from from Jack. Yeah. So also, you know, a lot of tools that we've ordered, knife sharpening, and just you know, little things that make life easier. And I, you know, we don't have the time to go like I'm going to go research knife sharpeners, and it's really nice to be able to trust your opinion and go. I'm sure that one's going to be good. We're just going to order that. E-Tech City Lanterns got eight of those babies, and those yeah. are fantastic. Yeah, Man, we love those. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of things that's like, yeah, seriously, Jack, we rely on You come up with stuff, I know that you're using it, and uh, if you're saying it's good, it's good. And so it's like. Yeah, I mean, as the stuff your expert counsel has to sell, and we, we don't have anything to sell but an idea. And, um, but we, the bloom and doom, and uh, just different good stuff to have as resources. It's been really. Yeah, we got Dog good. Bones' book, and, and Nurse Amy, we've got. Um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Erica Stroud's book. Uh, yeah. We got stuff from Keith. Um, we always listen, obviously, to Stephen and get some stuff from Stephen. Yeah, it's just for us. It's we, we feel like it's it's this giant community um, that is so fantastic to be a part of. It really is. It's uh, and then we're meeting people. One of our the, the guy that I was just telling you about, his wife. We kept talking because they asked us if they see the Berkey on the counter. Where's that from? And I could just keep saying, well, we listen to this guy, Jack Spirko. And finally, one time, she's like, what is that? It's like, it's a podcast. You need to listen to it. 
And the first time she listened to it, Stephen Harris was on when he was apologizing that he said he did something wrong and he went on a rant. And she came back up, man, I can't listen to that. I said, you got to give it a week. Just listen. Just listen. <laughs> and um, now she's a daily listener. She's like, oh, yeah. it's so good. She goes, oh, my gosh, I can't believe. How do you everything. not like Stephen Harris? Yeah. Like, he's hilarious. So, but now they, she's addicted, which is good because so are we. <laughs> yeah, so I think the, the other really wonderful thing is it gives you something to do. There's a lot of podcasts to listen to that have all these, like, lovely ideas of potential possibilities, and yours is just really practical. And you can say, you know, so you have a can of soup in your pantry, and you need to start, and this is how you start, and this is step one, and this is step two. And you make it so easy to begin something new. And then if somebody does follows any of those things that you have, they can start thinking about, oh, I can apply, I can make five steps for this and I can accomplish these tasks. So you don't just give somebody this really cool idea. You give them really practical ways of implementing that idea. And then as people start implementing your ideas and following your steps, they go, hey, I, I can come up with my own ideas and my own steps. And so just getting people to think. I guess that's, you know, the main thing that we get from you that we've tried, you know, you try to tell people, just think for yourself. You don't have to do what everybody else is doing. And you do that. And we love that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, on top of that, we've had people over on Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights, usually at night we have people over where we would go through saying, okay, so what if there was a disaster in your area? And they'd say, like, what kind of disaster? Say there was an overturned ammonium truck down the road. What would you do? And the first thing is, they, they, like, I don't know. What would I do? Like, well, you'd want to get away. Yeah, well, where would you go? Hadn't even thought about it. And we just thought the discussion of those are some of the things you might want to think about because those are the kind of things that could happen. And I used the ammonia truck because it happened. <clears throat> it was a friend of ours. And... Uh, and so just going through that process of, so are you prepared for just the basic things? And it's really easy to tell, just in a conversation, asking people that question where they go, how do you know this stuff? They say, well, I listen to a podcast and I just follow the list. There's one podcast that I keep saved all the time. It's um, 10 Easy Way to Test Your Preps. <laughs> and I start off by having them listen to that. And it's like, just listen to this one. And, and I'll let them use my phone to listen to it. It's like, just listen to this right here. And because uh, I keep that one saved all the time. And they go, oh, my goodness. And so they notice some things about us, but they don't know how, how we got to that point. And I'll say, well, here's how we started on this journey. It was years ago. We started listening to Jack Spearco on the Survival Podcast. And as time was going on, we just started adding, you know, what do you want for Christmas this year? Well, I'd like two inverters. Okay, Merry Christmas, and, you know, they're very inexpensive. And, I get, and so just working through that process, we had neighbors come by during the hurricane because they saw we had lights on. Yeah. So they were like, uh, you guys have electricity. How do you get electricity? Nobody else does. So like, come on in. Let's talk about it. we got extra phone plugs. I mean, some, some of Stephen Harris's stuff. It's just like, so, yeah. so you get to welcome people in. And, and that's one of the things that we love, inviting people over. And um I think that's what you do is you help you invite people in and share your information and then show them how they can, you know, change their own life and live a better life. And, you know, your your tagline, you know, whether things get tough, you know, or even if they don't, whatever, however that goes, I'm sorry, I don't know exactly. And 
it's just that's such an important phrase to have going around in your head. You can do the right thing regardless of what times look like so that you're prepared. Yeah. It's you're we I just can't say enough good stuff about what you're doing and how it's impacted us. Well, I appreciate the kind words, guys. Um, if we could kind of bring this this to a close, because we're like well over like oh an hour God. and a half now. Um, could, could you guys just kind of tell us, what, what do you think the future of homeschooling looks like? Well, I think technology more and more is, is going to play a big factor in that. It's just becoming easier and easier to do. And like other technological things, it it makes it co- drives costs down. So it becomes less and less expensive. It, it costs us less now to homeschool than it did 20 years ago or 15 years ago um, because the resources are so much more readily available through the Internet. Um, um, it's easier to find a co-op. So if you want to gather up with other folks so that you can do projects and different things that, that a co-op would do, they're much easier to find. You can go online. They've got Facebook pages. Uh, you can key in what your, your city is or your zip code and look for homeschool co-ops and they'll pop up. So I think it's becoming uh, more and more mainstream. It's it's less expensive and, and in a lot of ways easier because of the technology that's out there. Yeah, I think that to me the dark side of the technology is when the government realizes that they can control you from home, um, they're going to want to do that. And there will be no freedom to homeschool in the future. You will be everybody will be homeschooling because it's cheaper for the government. They can still take the same amount of tax dollars without the school building, without the school bus, without the school teachers, and control what your kids are learning at home. So to me, that's the the technology <laughs> downside, and it's a, to me it's a shame. Like in Texas, the Texas Homeschool Coalition is helping the government gain control over the homeschoolers, and it's really a shame. And on the positive side, I, I do think that for more and more liberty-minded folks, it's it's, it's easier to, to educate. Yes. And, and I'm, I, I think, well, just technology be the solution. We'll just develop an algorithm that, that, that tells the government, like, that gives all the answers back to them that they want to see and <laughs> creates an AI image. And there's the kid typing away, and it's really a hologram, and he's out playing in the yard. I, if they want to have it, like, I've always said the government – can win any arms race except a a software arms race. They they can't win that one. Yeah. So if we got to have that, we'll 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 have at it with them. Yeah. Maybe we'll have some Bitcoin billionaires that were homeschoolers make that happen or something. Yeah. And, and that will be in the not too distant future. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, guys, hey, I really appreciate you be, appreciate you being with us today and and all the work you've done for us on the expert council and 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 I thank you for being on the thank air. With well, thanks for having us, Jack. You know, guys, that was a great interview. Um, usually, I, I, this is where I do the T-SPAS segment. We'll have one today because I got a really great deal for you on Amazon, especially those of you with kids or maybe husbands or wives. I don't know anybody that's looking to uh, to throw some uh, lead down range inexpensively and take care of, like, pests and varmints and critters, like a smoking deal. But before we do that, I want to talk about net neutrality just for a second. Uh, I've talked about this on and off over the last several years. And I think my position on it is well known. I am opposed to government regulation of the Internet. 
And tomorrow, supposedly, finally, the FCC is going to vote on net neutrality. And Title II that was put in place by President Barack Obama through executive action, enabling an agency to have a new power they didn't previously have, uh, should go down in flames with that vote. And I'm sure you'll hear, oh my God, it's the end of the Internet as we know it. And this is about to be turned into a battle about freedom of speech. And they're going to shut down websites like TSP and Facebook and... Uh, Oh, my God, and it's going to be horrific. It's going to be like Hitler is controlling the world through the Internet. Oh, you mean like 2014? Like that, because that's what was going on in 2014. 2014, you turned your Internet on. It didn't work. I mean, you tried to go to YouTube, and it said you had to pay extra to go to YouTube. Except, I mean, come on. It's dumb. But it's all the hysteria is whipping up now, man, because it's down to the wire. Well, today I produced a little video I put out on Facebook and Twitter. I uploaded it to YouTube, so that's where it's hosted. And uh, it, it's, uh, well, it's called net neutrality, cutting through the bullshit to the actual issue. What I'd like to do for you right now is I'd like to play it for you. And uh, if you want, you can go by the site and you can get a link to the video and you can use that to share just this segment. Because the reality is here, it's not even like in this instance, in the way this was done in the first place, Whether you're for or against net neutrality, you should be opposed to the FCC doing it the way that they have been doing it. Here's why. So, decided to put together this quick little video because it's easier than writing it. And it's on the topic of net neutrality, which, by God, I can't wait until tomorrow when this vote from the FCC finally comes and we can stop being whipped into hysteria by the liberal left and the courted right. The right has been courted into this because the words net neutrality sound so good. I've previously spoken on this, and I've explained with great detail the technical components to it and how it works. And I've even made the freaking logical case, guys. I've made the logical case that, hey, we had a perfectly fine Internet from 1994 all the way up to 2014, and even into 2015 before the FCC began regulating the Internet under Title II of net neutrality. That I mean, that alone should be enough, but no, no. There's still hysteria going on. When I log into my freaking Patreon account, there's this giant thing, oh, you got to tell Congress. Okay, look, I'm going to make this very, very clear to you guys about the actual problem here in the first place. If there's ever a need for net neutrality, that would be the FCC having a power that it did not previously have. Okay, you got it? A power they did not previously have. Very simple to understand. They did not have this power in 2014. With executive action by President Obama and voting within their own organization, they gave themselves a power they did not previously have. Got that? Are you clear about that? Are you really clear about what that means? Okay, Here's a little lesson in how the republic's supposed to work. We're supposed to have three freaking branches of government. Three. Not one. Three. Legislative, executive, and judicial. The legislature passes laws. Laws are what gives the state new powers. Okay? If they don't have a power to get a new power that they don't previously have, that in our republic, by our constitution, must come from legislators, not from executives. In this case, the executives wanted a power they didn't have, so they gave it to themselves. That's not how this is supposed to work. That's not how any of this is supposed to freaking work. 
And if you think it is, you don't understand a republic that we live in. Let me break it down with an analogy so that maybe you can understand it. Let's imagine that you live out in a county and there's a lot of dogs running around in the county that aren't well maintained by their owners. And your county sheriff looks at this problem and he decides, you know what? This is because there's all these people that have 15, 20 dogs running around on their property. So what we need is we need a law that says there's only going to be three dogs per property, three dogs per household. And he goes to the county board of directors or whatever legislative process exists in your county and says, I propose this law. He even gets people together that sign petitions and say, we propose this law. But the elected officials in the legislature say, we don't need this law. This is not a law that we're supposed to have. There can be other laws used to enforce this problem, like there's already a law that says you can't let your dog run loose. So go enforce the laws that exist, and we're not doing this. Now, whether you think that law should exist or not, it doesn't. Now, how would you feel if you lived in that county and your county sheriff said, I am going to put together a group of deputies, and we're going to vote, and I'm going to sign as an executive authority and say, from now on in our county, you are limited to three dogs per household, and then we are going to go out and enforce the law that we created. Would you be okay with that? If you're not retarded, you're not okay with that. Okay, when the executive branch of our federal government gives itself a power, it's the same thing. Now again, from 1994, when we first started getting discs in the mail, you stuck in a computer and it went, you've got mail. All the way up to 2014, this didn't exist. There was some behind the scenes, arguing, wrangling. The companies worked it out, but your internet worked just fine. All of the horrors that are foretold, it'll be the Nazi internet, and they'll shut you down, and they'll shut down my site. Never effing happened but but now it's going to happen that in itself is an illogical stupid argument because it doesn't match reality however if it ever does if it ever does begin to go in that direction how quick do you think it will be that popular support compels legislature to act to constitutionally grant this power if we're going to have the state granted a new power in a republic, it either comes from the legislature or it is not a legitimate power. I don't know. I would prefer that we got rid of the state altogether, but if we're going to have a state, it should at least follow its own rule book and employee handbook, and in this republic, that would be the Constitution of the United States of America. There you go. And it, it, it does amaze me how much freaking hysteria is going on by people that don't know what they're talking about. And the number one objection I get is, Jack, if you did any research at all, because we all know that I don't do research, right? We all know that Jack Spirico is the least research-oriented human being on the planet. It's not like I'm a guy with a pretty high IQ that reads faster than most people can look at a thing like a picture and retains an eye. That's not me or anything. It's not like I go after things like a pit bull when I want to know more about them and I dice. Oh, wait a minute. That is me. So what they'll say, if you did any research, you know, you would know that in 2007, Comcast, throttled Netflix, and Carolina, and it's like, okay, listen, listen, seriously, I know all of the shit you're saying. I'm not saying that the shit that they did was okay. 
I'm saying that every single one of those issues and instances was solved. It wasn't an issue in late 2014 when, when Title II came in under executive action from President Obama. All those things were already done. They were dead. It wasn't like that went on from 2007 up to 24 for seven years, is it? Yes, they did things they really weren't supposed to. And in some instances, the companies came to agreements, and you never knew about it until the TV or the Facebook told you. And in some instances, the government did say, you can't do that thing, and they didn't need net neutrality regulations to do it. The horrors that people are talking about would fall under things like antitrust. We don't need more power for government. But by God, by God, If you are going to give the state yet another power, should not the state follow the rules and do it in the method by which the Constitution lays out? And this is the interesting thing to think about here. This has been going on since 2006. I started blogging about this in 2006 when there were all kinds of fake grassroots websites out there. You, it was like mommy blogs and shit that were promoting net neutrality with, like, hands-off and all this crap. And they all made it look like it was private citizens. And when you traced it back, it was all big companies. It was all big corporations pushing for net neutrality. It was all government entities pushing for net neutrality and, 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 and basically astroturfing the campaign. It was all fake. And I followed this from 2006 all the way up to 2014 when the FCC put these regulations in place and basically slowed down development of Internet technology by doing so, by the way. And in that time, I never saw anybody that was truly harmed by this, even though, yes, some backdoor shenanigans went on. Okay? None. But here's the big thing. If you think about the structure of the United States government from 2006 to 2014, we had every extreme. We had a Republican in power with Republican dominance. We had a Democrat in power in, in, with Democrat complete control of the House and Senate. And we had splits of power. Those are the only three options you have. You, you understand that, right? You either have the, the Democrats are completely in control, the Republicans are completely in control, or there's a power split. That's it. Okay. So... If, if it made sense for this to become law, it, to anybody, really, I mean, there's some pundits talking about it, Nancy Pelosi, nee, 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 like a mouse or whatever, but in the end, if it, if it really was necessary, or if the Congress really wanted to make this a law, you, you, you got all three ways that it can happen there. Dominance of either party or a split of power. I mean, it's it. And it was never made law by Congress. Ask yourself why. If this is such a terror, such a horror, ask yourself why Congress never made it a law and why the, 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 the president had to circumvent the Constitution and be the sheriff writing his own laws. And we, we don't do that in a republic, I'm sorry. So the big thing is I'm done with this issue because it is going to go down in flames tomorrow. 
And I'm sure they'll be, ah, I can't believe what's going to happen. They'll shut up our internet. And then nothing will happen. And, and amazingly, all these people that are freaking out, all these websites with these stupid locks on them for graphics, you know, it's, you know, crap like that. It will all just go away, and by, like, spring, no one will even say the word again until, oh, I don't know, somewhere around election time when some hope that, you know, a new administration will come in and regulate the Internet, because that's what it's all about. Anyway, uh, that's what I do, guys. I bring you information. I put it in a context that makes sense. Hopefully that one did, and it is one to share with your friends, because it's an argument that's impossible to argue from the other side if you care about the Constitution. Anyway... You know, let's say you like this show and you want to support us and maybe you're already a member or a membership's not for you and you'd like to do it like a painless way. Here's a painless way. You're going to buy stuff online. And when you go to buy stuff online, check out tspaz.com first. That's T-S-P-A-Z.com. Go to tspaz.com. You can see all my reviews. They're all categorized. You can see the most recent reviews by clicking the link for that. You get on over to Amazon and see like their deals of the day and you can just do your shopping from there. And if you do that, you help us. Pretty painless. And you also might learn about some really good deals. So I brought back something I reviewed early last year, early this year, I guess. Um, it's an air rifle called the Crossman Nitro Venom Break Barrel Air Rifle. And when I was looking for a rifle like this, I looked at a lot of options. And I was willing to spend $350, $400, if that was what it took to get something like I wanted. And when I looked at all the reviews, I went, as I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of a guy that does a lot of research on stuff. I went to a lot of blogs with air gun reviews and stuff like that. I looked at the performance, the price-to-value ratio, and I realized I could get this thing for right around 150 bucks, and it was on par with rifles twice as much. Was it on par with rifles that were $900? No, but I'm not spending $900 on a freaking air rifle. I'd buy a dadgone Weatherby for less than that, okay? I'm just, I'm just, in the end, it's still a pellet gun. I'm not an Olympic uh, uh, athlete. You know, that's going to have the size of the hole determined whether I get gold or silver. Um, I, I need a pellet gun that's reliable, accurate, and dependable. I got this thing, and this thing hits like Thor's hammer in 22 caliber. I haven't actually shot the 177 version, but it smokes pellets out over a thousand feet per second, and that's with regular traditional pellets. That's not the special bullet, you know, P, PBA ammo or something. I haven't actually tried that stuff. It's supposed to be pretty awesome uh, to get hyper velocity. I use, you know, Craftsman, craftsman hunting um, uh, hollow point pellets. And I mean, I have taken out some rabbits and some squirrels, and even a, I had a couple ducks I needed to cull. And uh, man, headshot and boom, they're gone. Uh, this is a, a hell of a tool. Uh, it is a real gun. It's not a firearm, but it is a real gun. It hits hard. Uh, it would be great to train a young shooter with. I'd be, you know, a little, you know, careful with trying to train two young shooters because it's a full size rifle and it has some weight to it. But man, is it a great rifle. It even comes with a decent scope. Uh, I've upgraded my scope. The scope I've upgraded to is in the, the show notes. It's pretty inexpensive, too. But here's why I brought it around for you guys today. We're close to Christmas and all, so that makes sense. But they have the 22 on sale for $107. $107 for this thing. It is. It, I'm not mad that I paid $150 for mine. I'm excited for you that you might be able to get one for $107. They've got the 177 caliber on sale for like $135, I think, something like that. Uh, either one's a great option. I personally prefer the, the, the thump of the 22 over the speed of the 177. Uh, but a buddy of mine has the 177. He really likes that. He shot a lot of squirrels and rats with it. Uh, check it out. Uh, Crossman Nitro Venom Brake Barrel Air Rifle. And you can always help support me by doing one simple thing. 
Online shopping where? T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. With that, let's get into the, uh, the song of the day. The song of the day is one of my favorite songs of all time, especially out of country music, from one of my favorite artists of all time, Garth Brooks. I've played a lot of songs from him for you. I think I have probably somewhere in the past played this song, but I am happy to play it again. I'm glad John Adam put it on the song list for me and picked it out for this week. It's called The River. The River is one of the most deep, meaningful songs that I think's ever been written. It, it, it has such heart and meaning in our lives. Let me give you some of the lyrics. You know, a dreamer's like a, a dream is like a river, ever changing as it flows, and a dreamer's just a vessel that must follow where it goes, trying to learn from what's behind you and never knowing what's in store, makes each day a constant battle just to stay between the shores. Too many times we stand aside and let the waters slip away to what we put off till tomorrow has now become today. So don't you sit upon the shoreline and say you're satisfied. Choose to chance the rapids and dare to dance the tides. That's, that's kind of the message I've had for this audience for a long damn time. It, it's all summed up in that one line, dare to dance the tide. I mean, it's, this is kind of a way of saying like shit happens. Bad stuff happens, man. Last week I was like, man, I feel like I got a lot of negative karma out for a long time. It was a brutal week with stuff going wrong, man. Like, if it could break, it did break. If it could screw up, it did screw up. If it could cost me money, it cost me money twice. But in the end, I got a job to do, right? I got to get on the air. I got to be positive. I got to come. I can't get on the air and go, man, this week sucks, guys. I suck this week. You know, you're going to be like, I'm not listening to this crap. I gotta do what I gotta do to, to make this show what it is. And you gotta do that in your life for whatever it is. That thing you do matters. It really does. Next stanza. There's bound to be rough waters, and I know I'll take some falls. But with the good Lord as my captain, I can make it through them all. And I think we, you know, there's varieties of faiths here, and I am definitely not your traditional secular th or uh, traditional theist. Right? I'm, I'm much more secular in my view as a deist, but I think even the atheist can actually take a lot from those words because there's something you believe in. And it's that belief that drives your dreams. And the, the, the uh, chorus, which I've skipped until now, I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry. You know what that means? I ain't quit until I'm dead. That's what that means. Like a bird upon the wind, these waters are my sky. I'll never reach my destination if I never try. So I will sail my vessel until the river runs dry. Jack would say, make the best use of your dash. They'll put those numbers by your name or on a stone someday, the date you were born, the date you will die. That dash, that hyphen in between them is you. And as I keep saying, folks, if you can fog a mirror, You are not done yet. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
a dream is like a river, ever changing as it flows. And the dreamer's just a vessel that must follow where it goes, trying to learn from what's behind you, and never knowing what's in store makes each day a constant battle, just to stay between the shores. And I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry, like a bird upon the wind. These waters are my sky. I'll never reach my destination if I never try. So I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry. Too many times we stand aside and let the water slip away to what we put off till tomorrow has now become today. So don't you sit upon the shoreline and say you're satisfied. Choose to chance the rapids and dare to dance the tide. Yes, I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry, like a bird upon the wind. These waters are my sky. I'll never reach my destination if I never try. So I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry. There's bound to be rough waters, and I know I'll take some falls. But with the good Lord as my captain, I can make it through them all. Yes, I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry, like a bird upon the wind. These waters are my sky. I'll never reach my destination. If I never try, so I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry. Yes, I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry. Till the river runs dry.